Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There is a problem of sort of chasing fame and chasing the wrong kind of fame. And I think people should aim for being famous to a small tribe, just like you are, just like Art of Charm, right? You are extremely famous to the right few thousand people. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. Today we're talking with my friend Clay Hebert, who has mastered the art of the introduction. You should listen to this show if you wanna learn how to introduce yourself in a very effective way in six words or less, how to tailor your introduction of yourself and your business to the room and the crowd that you're in, how to introduce others to one another in an effective way that makes everyone look like a pro, and a technique to ensure that people welcome your introduction on both sides. So enjoy this one with Clay Hebert. And by the way, if you're new to the show, we'd love to send you some top episodes and the AOC Toolbox, where we discuss things like body language and nonverbal communication, persuasion, networking, negotiation, mentorship, and everything else we teach here at The Art of Charm. In the US, just text CHARMED to 33444, that's C-H-A-R-M-E-D to 33444, 444. Everywhere else, go to theartofcharm.com. Also at theartofcharm.com slash podcast, you can find the full show notes for this and all previous episodes. All right, here's Clay Bear. Clay, first of all, thanks for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Thrilled to be here. Yeah, I, I'm keen to have you on because I've known you for a while, but you were kind of like just in my Rolodex, in my brain, you were like a crowdfunding guy, but you've actually done a lot of different things. You're a little bit of a business renaissance man, if you will, and I, I wanted to have you come on and talk about some of the ways that you, first of all, create and achieve goals. You know, you're the reason that Minnesota Mondays exist. Did you know that? I did not know that. So the reason that this happened was because at the event where I most recently saw you, you were giving a presentation about networking and, well, it was essentially about how to introduce yourself properly. It was less about networking. And I thought, wow, this is really cool, but it's not a whole show. The whole thing, even the dramatization that you did with Joey Coleman lasted, I don't know, 15 minutes or something. So I thought an explanation would be much shorter. And I thought, I've got a ton of stuff that's like that, that's not a full show, that's a little tip, or that's unrelated to something else that a guest was talking about in a show, and it just seems like miscellaneous sort of uh, potpourri, and I thought, why let this go hit the cutting room floor and go to waste? We can do Minnesota Mondays, and we can always have people on like Clay that can teach us really discreet skills, which is weird, because now, ironically, it's a full show that we're doing here, because you've got a lot of other content. Yeah, so we've got kind of a gateway drug to the art of charm in the form of Minnesota Mondays, in part because of you. Confidently introducing yourself, your business, or anyone else is a skill that a lot of people struggle with. First of all, 
even now, people ask me what I do, and I'm like, oh gosh, there's a lot of considerations, right? How long do I wanna talk? Do I wanna tell this person what I do? Am I up for a conversation? If we're at a dinner party and I talk about being a talk show host and teaching nonverbal communication and everybody else is a consultant, am I wanting this conversation to be about me for the next 45 minutes or about the art of charm for the next 45 minutes? And also there's a lot of struggle when introducing other people. And I, I hear about this a lot. How do I introduce someone else in a classy way? How do I tell people what I do in sort of an elevator pitch way that is memorable? So I, I would love to hear about how you develop this. Yeah, absolutely. It was back in about 2013, it was about three or four years ago. I was in San Diego. I was living in New York at the time, but I was in San Diego at a conference put on by Jim Quick called Superhero U. And it was a really interesting conference. I was just attending. I wasn't speaking, but there were other interesting attendees. And on one of the breaks, you know, he said, hey, why don't you, you know, turn around and introduce yourself to the person behind you? And so I did. So I turned around. He said, hey, what's your name and what do you do? And I introduced myself the way most of us introduce ourselves all the time, which is not in a prepared way, not in a confident or interesting way. I sort of rambled on and on. And I realized I almost saw myself as I was doing it. I'm like, well, and I, I think I covered, you know, where I grew up and my favorite flavor of ice cream. And, you know, I just went on and on and on. And I realized as I was doing it, that it wasn't very confident. And so then I said, so what's your name? What do you do? He said, well, my name is Matt. And I said, oh, that's cool, Matt. You know, what do you do? He said, I run a little software company. And I said, well, I'm, I'm into startups. I'm into software. Like, what is it? Maybe I've heard of it. And he said, it's called Automatic. And in that moment, I sort of realized who I was talking to. It was Matt Mullenweg, the founder of Automatic and creator of WordPress, the software that powers about 30% of the internet. So here I am chatting up one of my internet heroes. I sort of didn't recognize him because his social profiles aren't you know, primarily his face. And he kind of had longer wet hair that day. So it didn't jump out exactly who he was. And I felt sort of like Chris Farley in those old SNL skits where he slaps his forehead and said, ah, it's so stupid the way I introduced myself. And so I walked away from that interaction, you know, somewhat embarrassed, not too embarrassed, but just frustrated that why didn't I introduce myself in a strong, competent way? So I skipped the next session and got out a piece of paper and just said, what was going through my brain was, how do I never do that again? How do I never introduce myself that poorly ever again? <laughs> right. And so like a lot of things that, you know, eventually catch on, it just started as something I wanted to fix for myself and kind of scratch my own itch. It took quite a while not to come up with the thing, but I didn't say, oh, this is going to be a thing. This is going to be a movement. This is going to be a keynote talk. I just wanted to fix it for myself. So I tried a bunch of different things and tried some different frameworks. And eventually about a year later, I, I taught it to a group of startups in New York City, a friend of ours named Andy Elwood asked me to come present to a bunch of startups as part of this accelerator program. And I said, you know, what do you want me to talk on? He's like, oh, whatever, you know, try something new if you want. So I taught them how to introduce themselves using this framework. And six of the 12 people emailed me independently. Andy didn't give out my email, but they found me or Googled me. And they said that really changed everything in the last couple of weeks. So I had my kind of idea radar on and said, hey, well, if this really impacted six of the 12 people in the room, maybe there's something there. So then I codified it a little bit more and worked on different versions of it and, and taught it at kind of bigger and bigger groups. So so what is the framework? How do, where do we begin with this? Because even if somebody has a relatively simple sounding job, the temptation is to overcomplicate it, right? The simple framework is you start with the word I. So this is what you do when typically in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, we get asked, so what do you do about you know, three times a day. So on average, they've looked at studies and things like that. So almost a thousand times a year, we answer the question, so what do you do? You have to respond with the letter I, but it's not about you. It's about who you help and why. So the simple framework is I, and then the word help, 
or some version of the word help, and then who it is you help. So who are you helping? Are you helping mothers? Are you helping entrepreneurs? Are you helping men? Are you helping whatever? What result do you help them achieve? It sounds like a lot. It sounds kind of complex, but it's very simple. So if I'm in a room talking about crowdfunding, let's say I'm in Brooklyn at a startup fest and someone says, so Clay, what do you do? I can use the base formula, the base framework to come up with. I help entrepreneurs fund their dreams. Now, if you notice that in there, I don't mention Kickstarter. I don't mention Indiegogo. I don't even say crowdfunding, which is the word that I'm sometimes known for. And so that could be a lot of things. And it breaks a few of the myths about introductions in that they should be complete and they should be totally accurate. Our desire to make them complete and accurate is what makes it boring. So I help whoever it is you help and then whatever result you help them achieve. And that's kind of the base formula. There's a few additional riffs on it we can talk about, but that's the base and it's super simple. So why the word help? You know, does that fit every scenario? I mean, I'm sure there's an example that we can think of that isn't that, but why is it always the word help and why? No, that's a great question. And actually, I start with the word help just because one reason it flips the focus of the what you do from you to who it is that you help. But you're, you're 100% right. The very next sort of layer of the onion is, is help the best verb to describe what you do? Because well, let's pick another mutual friend of ours, Jason Gaynard. He connects people, right? He connects high-level entrepreneurs. You tell people's stories. You help people tell stories, right? Or Cal Fussman might say decode. I decode people's stories or things like that. So the first thing after the base formula, you're 100% right, is, is there a verb better than help to explain what you do? Okay. Like for me, I could probably use help, but that's if I'm talking about the training stuff. If I'm just talking about the show itself, I could say I speak to or interview or decode is a good one, right? That's a really good one. I might borrow that one. Consider it stolen. Tell us then why this is so important. I mean, it seems obvious that we don't introduce ourselves well, but why is it so important to be concise? What's the danger in being complete like you mentioned? That's a great question. So in your recent episode with Amy Cuddy, she talked about presence and confidence and the power that that has in an introduction, in a communication between two people. What most of us do is when we even ask that question, we're not even done asking the question, so what do you do? And because we've been trained with thousands of responses that someone's going to ramble on and talk about where they grew up and it's going to be a 10-minute answer, our brain automatically switches to think about you know, our grocery list or something else. By having it be short and sweet and confident, it's actually less about the words and more about the confidence with which you deliver it and the length of it. That's why there's no magic to six words. It's a fun thing to say and it helps the marketing, but it could be eight words, it could be 10 words, but the point is short and sweet and confident and then interesting. You wanna aim for confidence and intrigue over complete and accurate. And so by doing that, it it's kind of like tennis. It bats the ball back to them quicker than they expected it, right? They're expecting the long rambling answer about your favorite ice cream and everything else. Instead, you say, you know what? I help entrepreneurs fund their dreams. And you actually want them to say, you want them to be not completely confused, but you don't want to give the complete answer because you want them to direct the conversation. So to answer your question, why to do it, confidence, intrigue, and then it lets them steer the conversation. So when I say I help entrepreneurs fund their dreams, I get a whole myriad of questions back. Sometimes they say, are you a VC? Sometimes they say, what kind of entrepreneurs? Sometimes they say, what kind of dreams? What's great? And now we'll teach kind of the next layer of the onion. The next part of the framework is if you want, when they say, so what does that mean? So what do you do? The common questions they're going to come back with. 
you can go further down the bullets and say, well, I work with Kickstarter, Indiegogo, creatives and entrepreneurs. And you can basically add the more detailed answer that most people say first, or the better way that I prefer and the way that I teach people to do it is you sort of pause for a second. You say, well, let me tell you a story. So my friend Jordan came to me and then you choose your best story of your favorite person, your favorite client, the favorite transformation that you've helped achieve. And you're not talking about yourself. You're talking about the result you helped someone achieve. And then you pause at the end of that interesting, compelling story that's fun to tell. And you say, so that's what I do. So again, it's not about you. You get to tell what you do through the success story of your clients, which we all know works on the web and testimonials and social proof and all that stuff, but we don't do it very well in person. So you can explain what you do really well and very confidently through the story of the people that you help. Why do we want them directing the conversation? You mentioned that since we're doing this with a little bit of intrigue, it lets them direct the conversation. Why is that important? So that they're interested in the next step. Because if we are reading a seven-page bio, we don't know if they're interested in the next step. And so it's not so much letting them direct it, but it's making it more of a 50-50 conversation as opposed to a, now I'm going to talk for 10 minutes and hopefully by the end you're interested in me, right? It makes it more of a 50-50 conversation. Gotcha. Okay. And you tell the story through the success of your clients. How would I do something like that? I mean, what would I do if I was just speaking about the show and interviewing folks and things like that? How would this look for me? Sure. So if we're talking about the show, because I know you do lots of different things with the workshops and stuff, but I decode the lives of interesting people. Could be one for Art of Charm, right? Actually, one thing I love, you guys already have a great one that I I really love and someone else might want to steal. We don't necessarily have all the answers, but we have all the better questions. And so you could say, I ask smart people better questions, or I ask interesting people better questions. The result you help them achieve, in your case, I don't think it's your guests, it's your listeners, right? Right. Let's back into it. So let's say, so what's the result? When you guys talk internally about the show and about Out of Charm, what do you say is the benefit to your listeners? Because I can think of a million, but I imagine you guys have two or three sort of top ones. What do you help your listeners achieve? Sure. They learn elements of confidence, nonverbal communication, and relationship development, among a million other things, I guess. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) It's tough to narrow it down. It's already tough. Yeah. But here's the thing. Now we're trying to be complete, and that's where we get into kind of the buzzwords. So one of the rules in this framework is, you know, no buzzwords, no things. But confidence isn't a buzzword. How would you group your listeners, right? The people that listen to this are very broad. They're not all entrepreneurs. They're not all men. They're, you know, you have a broad range, but is there something you would use to classify them? The other way you can do this is depending on which room you're in, right? So if you're at a conference, let's just say you're at a conference of entrepreneurs, you you go to conferences like that and you speak at conferences like that. You might say in that room, we help entrepreneurs. Now, Art of Charm has far broader listeners than just entrepreneurs. But if you're in that room, so that's another tip is change the context of your intro. We already talked about changing the word help to a different verb. You can change the word. If I say I help entrepreneurs fund their dreams. Well, if I'm in Brooklyn at a wallet making conference, I say I help creatives fund their dreams, right? Because they see themselves as creators or makers. So it's almost like if you think about sort of like pulling the lever in Vegas and getting three sevens, if you think about this simple intro and changing the word changing the different word depending on the context you're in. So I help, whoever it is you help might be whatever room you're in, whatever room you're talking to. If I'm in a women's conference and happen to be attending or speaking at a women's conference, I might say I help women get clarity and growth you know, for their business because that's the room I'm in, right? Customizing it for the context makes it super relevant to the person you're talking to. 
Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to Kajabi dot com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all gonna give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now, back to the show. That makes a lot of sense because if you are talking with a group of people that think maybe this guy isn't for me, which is a problem that we suffer from all the time, right? Because people will go, I don't need this art of charm thing, I'm married. And it's like, they haven't looked at anything other than the show title, right? Their wife is sitting there like, please take him to your class, right? <laughs> exactly. So we see that a lot. And we see a lot of folks that would reject things like this. I mean, I can't tell you how many emails I get from people that are like, their whole life is taking this dramatic turn and they're asking for advice. And I'm like, well, you know, why aren't you getting coaching for this? Well, you know, people think I'm pretty charming already. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sad for you right now. 
because if people decide something isn't relevant to them, they are just tuned out. It doesn't even matter if it's the perfect solution for them, they've decided that their identity doesn't match the person that you help or the person that you work with, they just check out. Yeah, bingo, that is spot on. And so another tip you can do, this is a super subtle, easy thing to do, which is if you're in one of these conversations, it's pretty easy, right? You can see this coming from a few seconds away. And so if you're prepared, the simple little trick is you ask them first. You say, hey, Jordan, so tell me about you. What do you do? What are you up to? And you're listening to them and you're understanding their worldview. Like you just said, people care about, we're self-interested. So if you can listen to them and understand what they care about, the guy might go on and on and on about golf, right? You know a lot more about him. And maybe your thing is, you know, we help athletes and other people. And now you've basically customized your response to their worldview. I'm not saying to be, you know, tricky or inauthentic, but if you ask them first, it's impossible in, in the two or three minutes to not understand kind of the worldview that they're coming from. And then once you get good at this, you can literally just swap out one word to make your introduction more relevant to what they believe in. Right, and there's gotta be a little subtle distinction here, right? Because if you're speaking with a group of golfers or a group of women and you say, or a group of women golfers, right? And you say, I help female golfers keep their eye on the ball while managing families or whatever, right? But you don't exclusively specialize in female golfers, it could come across a little bit disingenuous, right? Oh, I help Fortune 500 companies do this is one thing. But if you're saying, I help parents with young children under 10 this, and then they turn around and see you on the web helping Fortune 500 companies instead, they're kind of like, wait, you don't specialize in parents with small children, what was that all about, right? Where do we draw the line between over-tailoring this and being relevant? Yeah, that's a super, super good question, and I'm really glad you asked that. So you wanna go one level below people. Sometimes it's say, I help people, right? If I say, I help people fund their dreams, well, people is every human on the planet, and that's not true, so that's sort of not specific enough. But like you said, it's not just left-handed female golfers because that's not who you help. So the simple little diagram you might think of is write people at the top and then write one next level down, entrepreneurs, creatives, makers, uh, men, women, moms, whatever, whatever room you're in or whatever context based on either the room they're in or what they said. But you're right. Don't go deeper than that. Don't say, I help female golfers, et cetera, et cetera. Just say, well, I help athletes and other people. So now you've categorized them as an athlete. Let's say it's a female golfer. The higher level than that is athletes. And then you can say, you know, athletes and entrepreneurs and other people, but you're leading with the categorical description of them. That's good, right? So we sort of dip in there so their ears perk up, but we don't over tailor to the point where it would be a reasonable assumption that you specialize only in that specific person and then a negative surprise when you don't. Exactly, bingo. I find a lot of marketers and coaches and consultant wannabes and like YouTube life coach guys say things like, well, you know, I specialize in this or I exclusively work with entrepreneurs that do this and it becomes kind of like, well, no, you don't. You will sell to anybody who has money and you know, your primary income is Snapchat and it just comes across as so disingenuous and I see this at conferences too where they'll do things like this all the time where depending on whatever conference they go to, that's their exclusive specialty right. even though they've never had a client from that and they're just hoping to get one or two they're over tailoring it. So if we reasonably expect that that person works with our group and they do, then that's fine. And this is a reasonable belief. If we reasonably believe that they specialize in our group and that's not true, then they've over tailored their presentation, right? Their introduction. So we need yeah. to kind of 
bounce this off people and see what the perception is. Yeah, practice it and bring it up a level. Like we said, not people, that's too broad. But if you say entrepreneurs or athletes or whatever, and then the simple way to kind of solve the problem you're talking about, which I completely agree with and definitely don't want people to over tailor this. If I say, well, I sort of help entrepreneurs and makers and creatives with crowdfunding. Now I've created this big, broad picture, but I know that that person's an entrepreneur. So I put them in bucket number one, but I mentioned two other very broad buckets that obviously encompasses millions of people. Yeah, it's not like I only serve, you know, left-handed squash players. If we pull this apart and we kind of do Tarzan speak with it, it basically just says help and then target market, you know, your broader target market and then specific skill, right? So maybe even reverse order. So you help person you're talking to, certain keyword that they're gonna remember, right? They'll all remember crowdfunding or if they're not techie enough to even know what that is, you would probably zoom out a little bit more, right? And just say fund. Yeah, absolutely. And the bigger your brand gets and the more well-known you become, what's interesting is you would think that the more you do, the more important you are, the bigger your brand gets, the more words you might need to describe it. But if you look at someone like, take like Seth Godin or Gary Vaynerchuk, right? Sometimes when asked what he does, obviously Seth Godin does a million things. He speaks and writes and everything else. But sometimes when someone says, so what do you do? His response with a wry smile, he says, I notice things. If we use your sort of, if we break it down to the caveman level of, of grunting, it's I verb noun. I notice things. And that applies to Gary Vaynerchuk as well. If sometimes when people ask Gary what he does, he says, I day trade attention. So somebody large like Gary V in his circles, large for his circles, because I often talk to people who have never heard of some certain person who's just given a huge keynote to a huge group. And it, it sort of reminds me of how niche down everything really is these days. And he might say that in what, his crowd, I day trade attention. And that just builds so much intrigue because it doesn't totally make sense, right? Yeah, it's interesting. He can obviously say very confident. Gary says everything pretty confidently, but I think that's something that we can all practice. But I think, yeah, I day trade attention. Who even understands what that means? And of course, the perfect response to that for Gary is if someone says, well, what do you mean? And it opens the door for him to have a longer conversation, a longer explanation. I, I wanted to uh, touch on something you said, because I think it's really important. And I think it'd be interesting to the listeners of your show. Fame is relative. You always used to say, yeah, Gary is famous in our little pocket of the universe. But when I lived in Manhattan, right at, you know, 42nd, 11th, right in the middle of the best city in the world, two blocks away was my wine guy. And he was our age and plugged into the internet and had a Gmail address, had never heard of Gary Vaynerchuk. So I think sometimes we want the wrong kind of fame. You know, there's people shooting for, there's Kardashian fame, which you don't want. Jason, delete my sex tape. Sorry, continue. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want Kardashian kind of fame. You want you want to be famous to the family is one way that Seth Godin put it one time. It's wonderful to be sort of C-list famous and people are shooting for the wrong thing. There's an interesting study, actually. They studied a bunch of high school kids in Buffalo. Buffalo happens to be almost a perfect demographic for like a demographic sample for the country. Really, really sad results. All these kids, there were, if you could be any of these careers, what would it be? Navy SEAL, CEO of a Fortune 500 corporation, all these things on down. And the last choice was assistant to a big time top 10 celebrity. Wow. 43% of the kids in high school surveyed just a couple of years ago chose they would rather be an assistant to a celebrity. So I think there is problem of sort of chasing fame and chasing the wrong kind of fame. And I think people should aim for being famous to a small tribe, just like you are, just like Art of Charm, right? You are extremely famous to the right few thousand people. A good goal would be to become sort of micro famous, almost like 
people talk about A-list and B-list and sometimes that's one way to classify it, but it's almost like we want to be D-list famous. You know, Gary Vaynerchuk, like you said, when I used to do a lot more consulting, I met a Fortune 500 CMO who had never heard of Seth Godin. So I think we do need to sort of look around and understand the fishbowl that we're in and then realize fame is relative and you don't want to shoot for Kardashian type fame. So what about introducing other people, friends and colleagues in a more interesting way? How do we take this formula and then plug it into our friends and colleagues? Because it's cool when you get introduced by somebody and it sounds awesome, right? And it can be a little uncomfortable at first and it's really uncomfortable if they get it wrong. And I'm a victim of this all the time because I think people just still refuse to listen to not judge books by the cover or, you know, people's emotions, they get in the way of whatever it is that they think you do. I mean, I don't know how many times that you've been introduced as the Kickstarter guy and you're like, well, it's not really just that, right? And I get introduced as just whatever the person had for breakfast that day when they were thinking about introducing me, the first thing that came to mind tends to be what I do. And I've gotten anything from is a dating coach to all the way to YouTube star. And I'm like, not really even on YouTube. (laughs) That's how I think of you, Jordan, as a YouTube star, for sure. YouTube star. I'm a karaoke singer on YouTube. But I mean, (laughs) there's tons of ways where people fail to do their homework. But I think it's also really easy to just be boring. Now, this is my friend Tom. He also works at Deloitte. You know, okay, whatever. Yeah, you're you're 100% right. And it's the same thing. It's not the same formula because the six-word intro formula doesn't work well at a table full of 12 entrepreneurs. Because if you say, this is Clay, he helps entrepreneurs fund their dreams, pause. Now you have 10 people staring at you and it's really awkward. So context is really important. When you're introducing a friend, you want it to be longer than the six word intro. You still want to have this concept of relatively short and intriguing, broad enough, but specific enough for the people that are there. So it's all about just the tiny bit of preparation. So if you and I were going to an entrepreneur founders dinner, like we do, we might just walk on the way there and say, hey, how would you like me to introduce you? Assuming we may introduce each other, what would you like that to be? And the closer you are to the person, the more you can kind of practice that. So it's just about putting in a little bit of preparation because, you know, sometimes people are launching something and that's what they want to be known for. So if Michael Port, you know, a month before Steal the Show, he would probably want to be like, well, this is Michael Port, blah, blah, blah. And next month he's dropping a book. I was able to preview it. It's amazing. It's called Steal the Show, et cetera, et cetera. So it's almost doing that pre-work and talking to the person who might be introducing you and say, you know, how would you want me to do that? The other kind of intro that I think introducing someone else very poorly that gets botched all the time is email introductions. I have kind of an interesting feeling about email introductions. I do them less than people want. But when I do them, I clear it on both sides, assuming they're sort of people at the same level. I clear it on both sides. I make sure there's context and relevancy. And then I will shoot a YouTube video. So I just take my phone. I go outside and I say, hey, Jordan, I want you to meet so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. This this is the context and why it's useful for you. And then I'd say, so-and-so meet Jordan and he runs the Art of Charm, which is XYZ, et cetera, et cetera. And it takes one minute to do, you know, our phones are great cameras and have decent enough audio now. And people really feel so taken care of, right? I value the introductions that I make a lot more. And so it's a little harder to jump through. I don't just say, oh, I'll introduce anyone to Jordan. I know, you know, there's people who've asked me to be on Art of Charm, but they're not at the level that they should be on Art of Charm. So I'll filter it that way. If it passes all the filters and it's helpful to both sides, then I like to put in a little more effort and really shoot like a 40 second YouTube video about how cool both sides are. 
Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling your own fire merch or promoting your productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And AJ, you don't have to just sell your stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from the brands that you love, giving your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no-excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. Thanks for listening and supporting The Art of Charm. For a list of all the amazing sponsors and discount codes, visit theartofcharm.com slash advertisers. Now, back to the show. When you say clear it on both sides, you mean get the permission. We call it the double opt-in, right? Where I'm like, hey, Seth, can I introduce you to Clay? Clay, do you mind me introducing you to Seth? And it's like, oh yeah, sure, go ahead. And we talked about that, and we talk about that on our social capital program as well as on other shows where it just, it makes sure that you don't embarrass yourself introducing people that already know each other or introducing people that maybe are avoiding each other for some reason or one person's super keen on meeting the other and the other person doesn't wanna deal with any new introductions or specifically with that person. There's all kinds of things you can get out of the way by simply asking both parties first. And then you go and do, why the YouTube introduction? Why not just an email? Because now I'm thinking when I get those like SoundCloud intros from mutual friends, I'm like, ah, oh, okay, I've got to open up SoundCloud and I've got to go and turn my volume up. I'm at dinner, so I can't deal with this right now. Not that I should be on my phone during dinner. I guess you got me on that one. But it's like something I got to deal with. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And so to clarify, I write it in a way, I don't just say, you know, intro and link the YouTube video or just paste in an ugly YouTube link. I put enough text in the email introduction that if you did open it offline in the subway, you would still get the context. And typically, there's, you know, one person is reaching out. So at least half the people have asked for the introduction, and then I've cleared it on the other side. Part of it is because when I clear it on the other side, if someone wants to meet you, and I clear it with you, in clearing it with you, I will have already explained and introduced who they are a little bit to let you make a decision. So the YouTube video comes in a little bit later in the process, right? And both people have pretty much opted in, like you said. The other thing is it just, like I said, I do some intros without the YouTube video. But for instance, I was introducing uh, Todd Herman to Scott Hoffman, a, a literary agent, and they're both big, important 
people and people I really like and admire and good friends. And so I wanted to spend that extra little bit of time to walk outside in my backyard and, and do the YouTube video. I think people appreciate it. And it's easier to sort of gush and brag up a person in video. You know how email doesn't have the nuance. It's hard to do nuance. It's hard to do sarcasm. It's hard to do show emotions. I can sort of show how excited I am to, to introduce those two people. I like it. I don't want to use it. I'm, I'm going to be one of those guys and respectfully disagree with you here because I can read so much faster than I can watch a video or listen to something. And I appreciate the videos and the sound bites, but I just, I don't like them as much in the moment. Does that make sense? Like it's yeah, more yeah, effort absolutely. and I go, wow, thanks. You know, I really owe you for that. So it's, there's more gravitas to the introduction for sure. I will not argue with that. But in the moment, I'm like, oh, can you just friggin' tell me who this person is so I can reply? But I, I probably should take more time with that stuff. And, and I think it depends on uh, how often you get them. If you get them once in a while and it's a really big deal intro, then it's worth it. But if you get one for every single person that you're supposed to meet, it's just like, okay, for Christ's sake, just put it on paper. I understand. Yeah, it's not the utmost efficient. It's not the ninja most efficient right. bang through to inbox zero for sure. And you got to be selective, like you said, about it. I probably do maybe one a week and it takes, you know, five minutes or so of that level of introduction, introducing sort of high level people. And then other intros are, uh, like you said, just shoot off an email. And sometimes it's tag them both on Facebook or Twitter. Or there's different ways to bring it in. There's actually an interesting little thing that we can link up in the show notes if you want a little hack that I found. You can figure out who are the mutual friends of two different people on Facebook, even if those two people are not friends or you're not friends with either of them. So I could go see how many mutual friends you and Barack Obama have in common right now on Facebook with this little search string. So really? Yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah, I'm definitely going to want that. I actually want to run that particular search and see if I have mutual friends with Barack <laughs> Obama. Prob probably just me, Jordan. Are you friends with Barack Obama on <laughs> no, Facebook? No. That would be incredible though, right? There's a story there for sure. What about the text intro? I've seen this cropping up more and more and more where people are like, yeah, introduce us via text. You're already texting and then one person just slides over and starts a new iMessage or whatever thread with my phone number and that person's as well. The text intro, What do you, how do you feel about that? Is that something you take part in? Because I feel like younger folks are doing a lot more of that. I think you're 100% right with the younger folks. Like everyone's got their own priority of channels. And I think while each human is different, there are some sort of demographic swaths. And I do think that, you know, a 19 year old right now, their primary mode is probably their text or Snapchat. And so I think a text intro, if it's somebody where if those two people were sort of inevitably going to collide pretty soon, they have 50 mutual Facebook friends, it's almost like an intro that was bound to happen anyway. And again, if it's kind of cleared on both sides, and there's the context, if you want to go for efficiency, you know, a text intro could be the thing, especially if they say, you know what, I really want to hop on a phone call with that person or whatever. The thing about Oh, it's kind of like if we could magically teach everyone the protocol and etiquette for this stuff. The problem with a group text is then people continue to reply back to each other in this group text and your phone keeps buzzing, even though you just generously made the intro and then wanted to bow out. And now 47 text messages later, you're like, hey, guys, get your own room, right? Right. Yeah, get a room. There also has to be in those types of introductions. Those have to be people who are very, very cool with having their phone number out there because I don't want people texting me because I'm super accessible via email, I'm super accessible via the internet in general, 
So texting is for like, like if you text me, cool, right? If Jason texts me, cool. If somebody that I don't have their number texts me, it's just like, who gave this to you? <laughs> exactly. Who gave you this yeah. number? I've had to say things like, hey, I don't want this out there because I've had my number for 15 years and now I'm running this type of show on the internet and talking with people who are not so controversial, but you know, I've access to a lot of thought leaders and stuff like that. I don't want people reaching out to me at three o'clock in the morning asking me for, anything, unless it's emergency. And if I don't know you, it's not an emergency, right? So you have to be very, very careful. This isn't just the double opt-in where you get permission to email somebody and they can ignore. This has to be very clear that you are going to introduce somebody by text, because a lot of times somebody might say, sure, introduce us, and then you get a text with both and you're like, crap, this guy's got my phone number now, I didn't authorize that. I guess I did by accident, but I wasn't explicit. So if somebody asks you, can they introduce you to somebody, it might even pay to say, by email, yes, and then just type in your email address so they don't have to look it up. That way they know not to do it in another way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're 100% right. And if you look at your phone and look at the last you know, 50 people that you've texted with, I almost guarantee 30 of them are probably 30 of your 50 closest friends, right? You may have 20 other in there about picking something up or whatever. But in general, the people we're closest with, we text with. And to inject a stranger into someone else's sort of text messages without permission is is definitely a, a rookie move, like you said. Not to mention, I think a lot of us think that texting an introduction is more professional. It should only be done, in my opinion, it should only be done when something is timely. Like, we're all at this conference today. Do you mind if I add us all to a thread and text messaging? In fact, I know a lot of times when I go to a conference with you know a bunch of our mutual friends and things like that, we open up, Chris Brogan or somebody like that, will open up a WhatsApp chat. Yep where I think their phone numbers are in there, but it's easy to leave the group. You can delete the group after the conference is over. It doesn't really matter. There's not this weird ghost thread with 12 people on it that you're not hanging out with that week anymore, right? You know, you use it to coordinate lunch and stuff like that. And I think everybody writes differently in text than they speak, almost everybody. So it can be a little dangerous when it's like, yeah, I'll introduce you. And then you're introducing somebody to their future employer and their first response is, who are you? But it's just the R and the U, and and then there's a weird emoji, like the 100, which I still don't really know what that means. It just looks kind of like, oh, you know, you make this bad first impression based on not a whole lot. You can't proofread it. If it goes out or you mistype something, you're kind of out of luck, whereas with Gmail, there's an unsend button, at least in a lot of email clients, and you're gonna proofread it and spell check it. It's easier to do that way. So don't use the text intro unless it's something that's very timely and you have explicit double opt-in permission to use phone numbers to do it. I think that's something that nobody's really talked about because I feel like I just made up those rules in the last year or so of getting text intro to people that I now have to like tell to stop texting me at 1 a.m. And using the technology and using the apps in a smart way, like you said, like Chris Brogan does, or spinning up a WhatsApp group for an event, like if you're at Mastermind Talks and you want to coordinate a lunch or things like that, that's really smart because like you said, the app itself sort of creates that opt-in where the text message doesn't. If somebody really, you know, they can see your phone number and it's visible, but you're communicating through this secondary layer. And then like you said, when you leave, if you want to disconnect, you just delete the app or leave the conversation and you're good to go. So I think it's about being courteous enough to use the technology in a way that protects people. And it's kind of, let's go back to like the golden rule, but the same people who are the offenders of this text message thing would hate if it happened to them. So just think for two seconds and say, is this how I would want someone to introduce me or communicate with me? And that's usually a good thing. But yeah, use the technology that's available to us to be generous to everybody. 
We are gonna link to your book, The Perfect Intro, How to Confidently Introduce Yourself, Your Business, or Anyone Else in Six Words or Less. That's gonna be in the show notes as well, and you can get those by clicking on the screen of your phone or going to the website at theartofcharm.com slash podcast. Well, I had a blast, Jordan, and look forward to uh, going live. Awesome. Thanks, right. man. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. This is really good stuff. We've talked about intros before. We have, of course, a whole module on introductions in our social capital course as well here at The Art of Charm, but really introducing other people, introducing yourself and introducing people to one another. This is something you're going to do in your personal life and especially, of course, in your business. It's gonna happen in your professional life no matter what, whether or not you own your own business or you work for the man, so to speak. So this stuff is all going to be super useful. It kind of eliminates a lot of the faux pas that I think a lot of people are struggling with, especially in the day and age of intranet introductions. So this is super, super helpful. Thanks to Clay for that. And if you enjoyed this, don't forget to thank Clay on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes as well as his book that we mentioned on the show. You can tap the album art right on your phone. That's the little cartoony picture of AJ and myself to get the show notes for this episode. And we'll link to the show notes right on your phone. I'm also on Twitter, at The Art of Charm. It's a great way to engage with us, ask us questions, harass us remotely via the web. And also bootcamp and live program details at bootcamp.theartofcharm.com. I'm also on Twitter, at The Art of Charm. It's a great way to engage with me and producer Jason there, ask us questions or give us your feedback on the show. Our live program details for The Art of Charm live seminars are boot camps. That's at bootcamp.theartofcharm.com. And please remember, we sell out a few months in advance, so if you're even thinking about it a little bit, get in touch ASAP. We'll get some info to you. You can plan ahead. And don't forget, of course, our social capital challenge at theartofcharm.com slash challenge, or in the United States, text CHARMED to 33444. That's C H A R M E D to 33444. This is all about improving your networking and connection skills and inspiring those around you to develop a personal and professional relationship with you. We'll also email you the fundamentals toolbox that I mentioned earlier on the show and videos with drills and exercises to help you move forward. I'm doing those every week. This will make you a better networker, it'll make you a better connector, and it'll make you a better thinker. That's theartofcharm.com slash challenge or text charmed here in the US to 33444. For the full show notes for this and all previous episodes, head over to theartofcharm.com slash podcast. This episode of The Art of Charm was produced by Jason DeFilippo. Jason Sanderson is our audio engineer and editor. Show notes on the website are by Robert Fogarty. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. Go ahead, tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else either in person or shared on the web. So stay charming and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and more at theartofcharmpodcast.com.